Welcome to Kashris on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashris Magazine. And hopefully tonight we're going to have some very interesting topics. But, uh, you know, today's a special day. I know what things that are happening, and you know the things that happened today. Very interesting things that happened. I'm not going to go into that. But there's another thing that's happening, which we all know about, that tonight is Rosh Chodesh Sivan, and that uh, it's, this is Erev Rosh Chodesh, and, and it's a special time of the year when we're supposedly wrapping up our year, our, our time of, of Sviris HaOmer, where we're trying to improve and to be ready to be able to accept the Torah. And in order to do that, we have to change a little bit, a little Avas Yisrael. That's, that's what the Chazal taught us. There was a, a, a lack of Riderich Eretz between, or some kind of lack of cover one to the other, of the Tamil Chachamim students of Rabbi Akiva. And we somehow in our life have to try to work it out ourselves that we would be able to develop certain degree of Derech Eretz and care for another person. So I would like to share with you uh, an interesting story. It really takes one second to tell. I'm just going to drag it out a little bit. <laughs> uh, when... I have a little bit of shemush, a little bit of experience in Kiddush Levana, going out and seeing the moon. When I was younger, I was in, lived in Borough Park, and uh, I, I was close to Rabbi Yosef Rosenblum, who was Rosh Yeshiva of, uh, of the Yeshiva over there in, in Borough Park, uh, Shari Yosher. And he was a tam, big Tamil Chacham and a big Yerei Shemayim. And a uh, poisek of some sorts, and, and definitely a yoyetz of uh, a person who gave advice to other people. And he had, he had real shemesh. He had an Adam Godel that he was a son-in-law of, or of, of a Davis. And Rabbi Ozumun was somebody to be around. That's what I can tell you. I learned a lot of things from the man. And one thing was how to see a moon and decide if you can make Kiddush Levon or not. Okay, it's a little early now before the new moon came, but you know, we learned about Kiddush Levana. But there's another thing I learned about Kiddush Levana, and it was many years later from somebody who lives here in Flatbush, Rabbi Israel Erlinger, who was the mashkiach of the Mir Yeshiva here in Flatbush. Uh, an excellent person, somebody who exemplifies the Musa that he preaches, he practices it. And he used to give a sheer uh, to us between Shalashudas and Marv, the Motzei Shabbos, uh, half an hour. You get a special shear we had for years. It stopped because of certain things that came up, and he not able to continue it right now. So we're on our own. <laughs> That's what he said. Uh, but as far as the uh, what I learned, I'll tell you what I learned. It's a really a big lesson. I'm not discussing halacha now, and if somebody wants to, you know, make a raise a question. Discuss it with your own rabbanim. You want to, you want to make a discussion about it, to make a discussion about it. I'm teaching you about people and how you conduct yourself. I'm not going to get discussing halachas now or minhagim. Not going there. But we all have a. We know the minute that when we make kiddush levana, the new moon came out. Everybody comes out of shul, mostly Shabbos usually, and people are well dressed. And invariably, you do it most of Shabbos. That's what the minute is possible to do it most of Shabbos. You can do it earlier, you can do it later than that, you know, three days, seven days, whatever you want to start from. But still, in all, there's a, there, most of Shabbos is the best. 
and uh, we just did do it after this year. So I remember once, but actually happened more than once, but I still remember it once. It stuck in my mind. We made Kiddush Levana, and I had my young son with me. I'm trying to remember how old he was then. 10, 11? I don't think he was 12. But if he was 10 or 11 or 12, he definitely wasn't bar mitzvah and didn't wear a hat and it didn't, didn't look like bar mitzvah. He was not tall then. Now he is bar Hashem. But in those days, he was a, a boy. And he's tagging along with his father, listening to the sheer in Yiddish yet. But okay. And um, we're making Kiddush Levana. And we come to, when you say Shalom Aleichem, you're supposed to say Shalom Aleichem to three Jews if they're there. If you're doing it by yourself, you've got to say Shalom Aleichem, Aleichem, Shalom, Aleichem, Aleichem, Shalom. You just say it to yourself. But if you have three people, then you say it to them. So he turns to me, Rabbi Erlinger, and he says, Shalom Aleichem. Then he turns to my son, young boy. Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem Shalom. And then a third person, without batting an eyelash. I said to myself, whatever is out there, I don't know. But one thing is for sure, he made the young man feel very normal, very much like everybody else. And he did it in a very easy way, very simple way, natural way. And that's what's supposed to be. Now, you know and I know that a lot of people, when they're saying that Shalom Aleichem, they want to get the right person. <laughs> they want to get their friend. They want to get a bigger person than them. They want to make sure that they... They probably pass over the kids all the time. But Rabbi Erlinger saw the boy, and he gave the boy that Shalom Aleichem. And it makes a difference. It makes a very big difference. Since I told you about Rabbi Erlinger, hopefully ever this won't get back to him I'll tell you one more story about him but it's not no gear to Rosh Chodesh but it's a good story we're in the we're, we're at a chasana and don't ask me why I'm sitting at the same table there was no there was no big rabbinish table but there was you know there was not too many people there it was a second marriage for, for this this man he wasn't 20 anymore he was I don't know in his 30s somewhere exactly I can't remember but he was in his 30s and it's a second marriage. And we're there, and I see Rabbi Erlinger's there. And then he's sitting at the table. And then they're up to benching. And he's still there. And he was there right through the whole benching from the very, very beginning, right through to the very end. And you know Rosh Hashivas and Rebbeim and Rosh and Mashkichim. They got a million things to do. And they, they have to get back to this forum. And they have other chryasim. That's another typical to go to. And he didn't budge. Then he got up to go, so I offered him a ride. He said, I have my own car. But, uh, but I, um, I asked him a question. I said, you know, I see that the, 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 the mashkiach stayed the entire time from the very beginning to the very end. I said, you know, what can you explain? I don't understand. You're you that close. He said, no. He said, a mo, in general, and usually, the chaveirim do the dancing and mechazek the the the, uh, the Baal Simcha, but here we're the Chaverim. Ah, we're the Chaverim. I mean, he wasn't his Chaver, but he meant he needs people there. We're the Chaverim. He looked around the room. He saw who was there. 
He says, how many people were there? He's staying. That's, I think it's a good story, too. I like both of those stories. But <laughs> what can I do? I like him. <laughs> anyway, let's go to some of the things that we we're going to talk about tonight, which really are about our topic, which is Kashrus. I promised you last time that I was going to discuss a piece from the Hapardes from 1933. And I love this piece, not because of what he has to say, but because, and not because he had to say it, because he did say it. He did say it publicly. The Hapardes, is, everybody knows, is a very religious publication. And uh, we mentioned last week that it had a list, a list of the fish there from the Agudas Harabonim. But listen to this. I'm going to translate it. It reads like 1933. It reads like what happened in America. But most of you who are listening here never heard anything like this. Even if you think you did, you never heard anything like this. The situation of Kashrus. Bahapardes in uh, in Choveres Ches in the uh, in the sixth year. This is the seventh year. This one. This is Chelik Zion in Chelik Vov, which means the year before in Choveres two and three, and this was Choveres Aleph. So I don't know how much before this one it was. Kasafti Asher Boalai Mechtavim in New York, Mean Ashim Charedim Shoalim Masmiim Alai Al Hatpasas Moados. Uh, and then he tells you the name of it. I'm going to skip the name of it over here. And he says, how come, in other words, asking him, how come you wrote in Hapardes, you took advertisements for a, a deli manufacturer, for people who make... Uh, uh, <coughs> make the uh, delis, deli products, uh, the, uh, you know, the, I suppose, I suppose, uh, salami, bologna, liverwurst, whatever it is, all these kind of things. And uh, why are you taking advertisements for this particular place over here? And they complained, Mekonanim, Bemechtavam, on their letter, they wrote against it. And they talk about Hador HaParutz Hazeh. This terrible generation, 1933, where there was very little observance going on in this country. And they told me that you should stop printing letters from these different manufacturers of Delhi, and this way we'll be able to produce in America people who are Noshim, Yireyim, Ushleimim will produce fully God-fearing and complete individuals who don't eat these kinds of foods. He says, you know what I answered them? All those companies that I took into Apartheid as advertisers, they're 100% kosher. The owners are well known as being responsible in kashrus. 
and the rabbis who give hashkocha and the mashkichim, what could you do better? They're definitely responsible people to be, to be assure us that the fit, that the produce of these de- deli manufacturers is 100% kosher. But now I have to admit and to publicly with a bent over head, the head bent over. And I should say, I have sinned, we have sinned. And I should say it out loud. I have to say to these people who were correct in what they said. And he mentions the name of a manufacturer who was popular in those days. I will not mention the name now. But so-and-so, the story of this Delhi manufacturer proves what they were saying was true, that they are no good. Remember the Bossa Bossa stories? Well, here's one of them. The owner of this deli manufacturing plant had been accepted and well-known and thought of as a kosher provision house for over over 20 years. Rav Hamachshir, who Rav and the rabbi who certified him, is an outstanding rabbinic figure. Umashkiach Tamidi, they had a mashkiach Tamidi in the factory. Now calls the nimsa bebeisach haroshes shalo, faser trefa bemidor meruba. They found in his factory a high amount, a large amount of trefa meat. Uh, the whole story in Stan and Pete in, in, in South Africa that's going on now, they found 13 chickens. I mean, 13 chickens, one tray for chicken is no, is too much, but 13 tray for chickens, would, they're not sure if it got in by mistake. They're not sure if it was a real deal. As somebody said to me this Shabbos, I dive in with somebody who was in Kashrus, and he said to me, I don't understand these stores. A lot of these people are sneaking in one and two chickens or 10 chickens, whatever it is, some small amount, how much money can they save? How much can they make on a few chickens? But this man, at least it seems to be, had mida miruba. A large amount of his meat was found to be treif. After over 20 years serving the public with a well-known rabbi certifying him, with a mashkiach timidi. Halo lemashma oizen daivo nafshenu. Oh, what woe to us that have to hear such things. Henenu omdim umasmiyam aleinu ech nase hadava haraze. We say, how could this have ever occurred? Mano mamandabeh, what can we say? Henenu asher persamti kol hashanim asher beisach roshish shall so-and-so kasher. For these 20 years, no, actually, he didn't, this, this part is not 20 years old, 
But for years and years and years, in, this, in the early issues of Apartheid, he was featured as a kosher establishment. I remember the Agmas Nefesh that I had, where one time I was cheated in Kashrus magazine. I want to tell you, it was a terrible story. I'm not going to tell you the details because it would implicate somebody who everybody respects, and I don't want to get them, uh, I don't want to make a, an issue about it. I don't want to throw any, shed any negative light at anybody. But I was cheated once. What happened was somebody advertised that he's under a certain certification, which he was not, that it's kosher Pesach, which it was not. That was one story. That one, I somehow don't remember exactly how it ended off. But there was another story where it could be that was the one. And then you guess one of the stories was that there was a, um, that it had a hashkacha from a well-known kashrus agency. And it was in my magazine with that symbol there. And then we found out that the product was not only not kosher, but it also had had non-kosher wine in it, or grape juice, actually. Non-kosher grape juice they were using. And we didn't know about it, and the Kashrus agency didn't realize it. And when we found out the whole story, my magazine was printed already. So now I had a dilemma, what to do. So I realized the only thing I could do that would be decent would be to go and send out a notification to uh, everybody who got the magazine. So we sent out more than a thousand at that time. It was many, many years ago. Now it would be many thousands. But at that time it was more than a thousand, I believe. And it was a postcard. And the thing cost maybe a thousand dollars to send it out or more. And that was a lot of money for me. And I went to the Kashrus agency who was involved, and the Kashrus agency said, we'll take it, and we'll collect it from the person himself who, who was guilty. And they did. They made money. <laughs> they made money, but they paid for the p- printing of the, po- of the postcards, and it went out. But there was another, but there was an, and, and then we put on every single magazine that went out. After that, we put on a sticker so that we had every magazine covered, literally, <laughs> with, the, with the sticker. And we had every subscriber getting a, um, getting, getting a piece of mail from us saying that there was a mistake in the, in the previous issue. But the other story, and I don't remember it too well, the other story was we had to make some kind of an about-face and uh, because the cautious agency had been ripped off and we were ripped off. And what we did was, I don't remember what we did, but I remember what happened. The Kashrus agency said they're going to say that it's kosher anyway because they're going to say the Easter was bottle. And I had serious questions about that. Uh, that's why I'm not going to discuss the details, but we had serious serious question about it, and we published uh, publicized that it was not kosher. And the, the Kashrus agency agreed that we could do that but they refused to publicize that's not kosher. And uh, it was under the hashgacha. I mean, it was a, I think that was a legitimate hashgacha, but that they had mistakenly made that mistake. 
So you get caught in these things. But this rabbi over here from Hapardes, he was you know, backing a, a company that was literally treif, not a, a, an ingredient or a possibility or a shayla. It was treif. And he had been uh, advertising them for years. That's what he says. That's that that particular plant, that particular producer of meat, has lost his cheskas kashras because they found treif there. It's a scary situation. So he mentions a certain person, and I'll skip his name. Mishilton Hakashvas. Oh, it's going to make him mention it. It looks like I can't even feel it. This is going back before I was involved in Kashrus, 1933. It's, he mentions a, a person, I think it's Ringler, from, from the government, uh, who was involved with Kashrus, uh, you know, enforcement, kosher enforcement, who had, had produced the kosher bill, he refers to it. He calls it a bill, Beis Yud Lamed, <laughs> kosher bill. So I told him to look into it. The Chaka Vidarash, and this gentleman, uh, it seems like a, is a doctor or whatever it is, or a judge, whatever his name is, Ringler. So he looked into it. He discovered where the trefa meat was coming from. in New York, and he went to the New York Kashrus Board. It was a New York Kosher Board in 1933. Wow. Now they want to get two rabbis. He gave him two big rabbis, and they nasu and they went to the place to examine the factory. truck shell. This particular place. This is this this uh, owner of this uh, deli. Vinitan lasocha truck shlosha asar chavios basar. And inside there were boxes of meat, meat that was boxed. Three, thirteen uh, boxes of meat. Vehemen nosu acharei ha truck, and they traveled after the truck. These two rabbis at shero'u until they could see ki ashlosha asar chavios basar melkach lebeis acharoshes. They saw that they were taken to the, uh, to, to the factory where they're making the, uh, the, 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 uh, the meat. They're making the deli. And he mentions the address and the name of the place. I'm not mentioning it. So the two rabbis went in immediately. They saw the meat had no signs of being kosher. And the place where they got it from said, we never dealt with kosher meat. And 
and he was turned over to a basin in New York. Tachas Hayoshev Roshia Zakain Zakain Rabbanim the New York Harav, and he mentions Rabbi Margolis. Rabbi Margolis was one of the chief rabbis, one of the main rabbis here in New York, not chief rabbi. Based in Yashvu, called Yom Gimel of Vayikra, and the, and then the, the Tuesday of Parshas Vayikra, the based in sat the entire day until the evening. Shamucha, a very late time. They didn't stay till absolutely they got to go. Shoutsiu Mishpatoma Kasuv Khan, and this is what the based in came out with. Baruch Hashem. Remember, the two rabbis went and saw the meat, and they found that it was treif. And now they're coming in front of Beistin as Edim, and they and they say that the meat was not kosher. And we'll skip the name and the address. They was discovered tray for meat in large quantity. La sauce mayhem worst, uh, worst, right? La hashil harabim ben avails and trefos to cheat the public into eating non kosher food. Ulachain yatzahap saktin meitanu. So this is the based in from, it was set up from the. Uh, Agudas Harabonim, and Rabbi Margolis was the Yoshev Rosh of this based in, and the two rabbis who were Nehmonim had seen the, the non-kosher meat being delivered, discovered as non-kosher, and reported it as Adam to the based in, and the based in met and came out with the declaration that from this time on, he says that, uh, that this uh, manufacturer of meats, Avdor Cheskas Kashruso, has lost its cheskas kashras, is no longer to be considered acceptably kosher. And the rabbi who was certifying this factory, has been removed of his hashkacha, and he can no longer certify this this company. Wow. This is a this is a psaked in. Could you imagine the power that existed in Yagura Sarabanam at that time? But I can tell the rabbi, go home. <laughs> you know, this is America. It's a free country. He pays me. I say it's kosher. Go home. That's what they could do. It's signed by uh, uh Three, six, it uh, looks like 11 rabbis. Rabbi Gomar Golis, Rabbi Rosenberg, Rabbi Levinson, and etc., etc., etc. I'm not going to try to figure out how to read some of the Hebrew names, you know, the Hebrew letters, the name. Anyways, altogether, 11 rabbis. And this based in Yashva Odpam, Biyom Heva Yikra. Two days later, they sat again, the based in. Maybe there's some mitigating factor. Uh, maybe an error occurred. Uh, maybe we can look at this again, please. 
And they heard from the factory people. But the Basin said, Mm-mm, no, 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 no. And it was decided this should be publicized everywhere. So already in 1933, based upon uh, on, on, on his uh, breaking the law of the kosher bill. So they didn't tell us the end here, uh, but he says on the 14th of April of that year, in 1933, maybe I can research it. I'm not sure I'd be able to get it so easily. The final din would come out if he has to pay some money or whatever. Now is the time, 1933, they're telling me this. This is before all the famous stories. Shalat, and, and, and out in California, and in the Muncie, and, 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 and Flatbush, and, and, and this city, and that country, and, and South Africa, before all the stories. Now was the time to put added protection on the base on the kosher uh, plants. They should know how much meat goes in and how much meat goes out. They should be getting following the money trail, following the trail of the of the purchasing, the bills of lading. 
It's a simple fact. If the output is more than the input of meat that's kosher from a proper source, then he's cheating. And anybody in the industry could figure it out. Why isn't it being done? I don't know. But I'm reading just the last few words he has here. How much was made that day? The day is that from the inflow to the outgo, from seeing what's coming and going out, we'll be able to figure it out according to the numbers. In low bar bossa trefer that the milk trefer meat was brought in, the old aza takonas and we can even do some more things. So here we have one of the uh, oh, but the, but the interesting part is the very next line in his in his pardes, he starts talking about another company that he loves and says this one is, this one's really good, but uh, you know. We all have this um, some responsibility, you know. It's I if I take in an advertiser, I have a certain responsibility, and I try my best to to control that situation. The, the two stories I told you were from like twenty five, thirty years ago, but but the uh, you know it doesn't happen very often that somebody would actually try to rip people off and put ads in with the symbol on it. It doesn't really happen like that very much, but it but it does, <laughs> and even without putting the ads in. The fact that uh, that that they could fool a hashgacha, a responsible hashgacha, for years and years and years, that's something really interesting. So it's really not just 1933; it happens all the time. So what I always say, and I can't I can't say more than this, is that yeah, sometimes you think that some people are being a little too machmir. They're always like. You know, very nervous type. They don't seem to be always taking everything. They don't go out to eat everywhere. They don't. They actually may ask a question of the mishkiach. They may want to see the tuuda. They may want to ask, you know, uh, a question about where they get this from. Maybe, maybe it's over the top. Maybe it's too from. Maybe it is not necessary. But when you hear these stories, when you see that it's serious, and you hear the stories that happen, you wonder. Maybe with a little more effort many of these would be discovered by the mashkichim, the rabbanim, by the public, and maybe, just maybe, you might have protected yourself. Somebody called me today, and he starts asking me about, uh, I don't want to tell you what he asked about, but it was, you know, one of the insect situations. Then he asked about another insect situation. He said, but did Ramosha eat that? I said, yeah, of course Ramosha ate that. But Ramosha ate kosher. How do I know? Because Gemara says it, and, and Toysvus, and, and we believe it. You know, if the behemoth of Pichas Ben didn't do anything, so uh, so with Sadik is not going to eat treif. But that doesn't mean to say that there isn't treif in the products in general now, and we should be careful with those insects. We should be careful today, not saying Ramosha ate kosher. Of course he ate kosher. I don't have the slightest doubt he ate kosher every minute of his life. But I, but I, I don't. I do say that that doesn't exempt you. From uh, from doing some kind of uh, control factor, controlling your kashras, and and being a little bit concerned. I don't say nervous, but a little bit concerned, and uh, sometimes to take a little more strict standard because it's a little safer. At least that's my opinion. I, again, not talking for everybody else. But I thought this was very interesting. Going back to 1933, I, I'd like to share with you now. Uh, I I don't think I mentioned this. 
I think it's an interesting one. My friend Rabbi Yisrael Hiziger, who uh, writes a, a little column, it's not much of a column, mostly takes things that are out there, but this was very good what he has here in Torah times. So he has a letter, and I think I have the right to read it. I, I, don't have the, I don't know if I have the right to print it, and I certainly would like to speak to Rabbi Yazim to see if I can print it. But it's a very interesting letter, and I, I want you to listen to the way he wrote it. The following letter... Oh, this is from Torah Times, um, Emor, Parshas Emor, recent. The following letter was sent to proprietors under the Vatikashras of the Five Towns. Rabbi Yosef Eisen, who's a rov here in Flatbush, he is the uh, Kashras administrator of the Vatikashras of the Five Towns, as well as a, uh, I don't know exactly his title, but he uh, helps to 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 uh, uh, to direct, or uh, he's a, an advisor, or whatever we call it, to Kahila Kashras here in Flatbush. But this is from the Five Towns. Dear proprietor, as you know, this everyone got, and I just got a copy of the letter because it was printed here in the Torah Times. Dear proprietor, as you know, the Vada Kashras Five Towns. Farakaway prides itself on maintaining the highest standard possible of kashrus adherence. Technology in the 21st century allows us to pair together with you, the proprietor, for the benefit of the entire community which we serve. Specifically, camera login access allows us to constantly monitor and view important kashrus issues on site when necessary. In other words, we want you to put cameras into your facility so that we can watch any time, day or night, and play back even something that happened on Shabbos, we can or if we can we can at will know what's going on in your establishment. And by the way, they do periodically review it. I spoke to one of the people who work for for Kehila. Uh, that's Kehila they have it also. This is not Kehila, this is about a five count, five times. But they they do review these things. They don't look at it every day. They only look at it a little bit. But whatever they do, they could catch anybody. And listen to what it says. So, th- so they're saying that now cameras are not just a nice idea or for places where I can't get a person in to be a mashkiach tamidi. No, 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 no. We now require cameras. There's just no other way to go. I don't know what they do about Shabbos. If you have a facility or Yom Tov, if you have a facility that's open on Shabbos and Yom Tov to serve people, let's say on Yom Tov, or if there was such a thing with a cater, I don't know if they do anything that does with Shabbos or Yom Tov. I have to think about that. But, I mean, no one's working in the store, but, uh, I, I mean, for example, I remember going on Shabbos to a restaurant in Borough Park for a Sheva Brachos that was open Friday night for us. And everything was done, Kadasva Gadin. And you know, and it was so Kadasva Gadin that we had to close up the restaurant. <laughs> they they're not gonna stay till the end. And they left after they served everything. Everything was served. The Mashkiach left, the workers left, and have a nice night. <laughs> and just close the door. That's it. You'll be everything will be fine. <laughs> and we walked out. 
I remember it was, and that's not 50 years ago. And this is, this is something that, you know, is not such a long time ago. And yes, we, we, we had that. So I, if they have a camera on Shabbos and on, on such a thing, I don't know if they would do it. I don't know what their din is uh, for them. Uh, it would be a big problem halakhically for me. To, I, my, my understanding of the halakha, it would be a big shiloh. But anyway, this is not what they're doing. They're talking about a factory or a, a caterer that's producing during the week. And we're not talking about Shabbos and Yom Tif. Although that would be an issue. In the past, we've requested but refrained from placing consequences on establishments that not in compliance with our camera guidelines. In other words, we always asked you to do it for the last few years, but now, but then we decided we're not going to bother you. I mean, if you don't want to do it, you know, all right, well, you know, we'll get around it. No, 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 no. This is the this is the key. Due to recent developments in the world of Kashras particularly the recent occurrence in Johannesburg. That's Stan and Pete. You have to remember those two words, Stan and Pete. Those are, that's the caterer that got caught with 13 trefer chickens in their establishment. However, whatever, that was that they found. And because of that, the world is shaking. Maybe you don't hear about it, and maybe not every agency is shaking. But the Vada of the Five Towns is changing their policy because of Stan and Pete. We're now determined to complete this project with total compliance in order to raise the level of Kashra's adherence. All establishments must be equipped with cameras satisfying the needs of the Vada Kashra's by no later than June 29, of course, of this year. Now, how many cameras do they need? It depends. Some places they're going to have a bunch of cameras because of the different production areas. They want to make sure that refrigerators are guaranteed and who knows what else. Although in today's world, between you and I, I don't know what goes, I don't know how they set the cameras up, but I know that you could get a portable freezer or refrigerator. You could get any refrigerator or freezer into a space, a very small space, any place in the building. So I don't know if, if something could be brought in, got through the window, the door, this, that, be stored over there, got mixed into the other things, and then the refrigerator or refreezer removed. It's a possibility that they could bypass all these little cameras. I don't know. I'm not going to give any ideas, but I want you to know that there is one caterer. uh, I don't think I mentioned it here, but I might have mentioned it here. There's one caterer in the five towns who uh, has his own ovens. I'm serious. He has his own ovens, and he brings them to the different facilities and uses them because he will not trust the ovens of the other people that went there. So he has a he stores them in a truck on a property. I'm not telling you where he stores it. I'm not telling you who he is, but he stores them in a truck that he purchased on a, in a facility that they allowed him to store the truck there. And all his ovens are in there. And any time he gets a job, he brings his ovens and of course all the food to an establishment. And he's not using anything over there. Everything is his stuff. That's what he does. Very serious fellow in the world of Kashras. I was amazed when I found that out. And he, he told me that 
I have no permission to tell anybody where he stores his where he stores his ovens you know, because it's a it's a private thing. But I think it was a very interesting idea. Anyway, so if that, anybody could sneak in, you know, if you have a truck stored somewhere, you could sneak in these this a piece of equipment. <coughs> Maybe you can get deliveries of trafe and use it. So that I hope they have enough cameras out there. But let's say they do. Here's what they want to use the cameras for. Number one, must be able to be viewed from mobile devices. In other words, a guy has his phone, one of the mashkichim, kind of a phone, or whatever it is, some Wi-Fi thing, whatever. I don't know what I don't know all the technology today. <laughs> you got to ask my kids about it, right? Or, not, or my grandchildren, actually. One of my granddaughters is uh, is getting training from the from the uh, the kosher group that uh, where they they train you for proper technology. You know, they, they they work on your computers and stuff. And all the girls from the from 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 high schools are going to get tag. Is it tag, or uh, what's it called? What is it called that that organization? You know, you don't know. Okay, so with that organization that that uh, works on the kashrus of the of the filtering and all that, who is that? Okay, this is tag. Tag. Tag and yeah. Machane Kadosh. Okay, so tag has a program for. The, for the high school girls to train them on what's really the problem with the whole business. I don't know if they train them on how to do anything with the computers, but how the young people know about it. Anyway, so it has to be viewed from mobile devices. Must include playback features of a minimum of 10 days, which must also be viewed from mobile, must also be able to be viewed from mobile devices. Must be placed in all access points for entrance and exit to the establishment, as well as all food production areas. It sounds like a, <laughs> it sounds like 25 cameras in the place. I don't know really how many they have to have. Number four, we expect that all will adhere to this directive, as any establishment which does not comply will unfortunately forfeit their supervision. Now that is unique. I don't know that other conscious agencies have gone that far yet. But it's beautiful. It means to say that Rabbi Eisen and the Vod of the Five Towns decided that this is going too far. We've got to be on top of it more than we ever were before. And that Stan and Pete, the situation that happened all the way in Johannesburg, South Africa, is changing the way that we're going to do kosher here in Brooklyn. Not maybe. It changes it as of now. That's what he's saying. And I think it's a very laudable thing, which we should all uh, acknowledge. And the next thing that I'm going to be asking when I speak to people who are in Kashrus, I say, do you use cameras? Do you require cameras? Why not? That's what I have to say. And that's, that's, uh, that's, I think that has to be the position of everybody in Kashrus now. I think it's a beautiful idea. And uh, I think check, checking the incoming, outgoing meat uh, production is an absolute necessity. The meat area is is rife for problems. It we the halacha treats meat differently. The quality of uh, shilas and kashras that exist in meat are much much higher than anything else. And it behooves us to start uh, doing what what's going to prevent. From happening again and again and again and again, so I leave that up to the people who uh, you know who have the opportunity 
to change the situation. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of things that that uh, came across my desk this week, but one thing I happened to peek at, which is old, it's something that I wrote <laughs> in uh, in in 1996, I think it is. No, 1990. Yeah, 1996, I believe. Listen to this. It's called the Bread Report. And let's just see if this doesn't seem to come back a little bit again and again. The caller was a well-known Rebbitzin in Flatbush. That's what I wrote in 1996. The story was all too familiar. It had just been two years since we had announced to our readers about the Brooklyn bread problem. I don't even remember what that was. I have no idea now. At that time, we thought the case was closed, but it had resurfaced again. Another one of these things that comes up again. If you buy a loaf of bread in a wrapper saying X's Bakery, Borough Park, Brooklyn, New York, 11204, and bearing the kosher sign of a respected kosher agency, wouldn't you assume that that bread was actually made by that bakery and under that certification? Unfortunately, this is not always the case. Over the years, we reported on a good number of scams in the kosher bread business in Brooklyn. I remember some of them. The problem we first reported was about certain distributors of breads who buy loosely loaves and deliver them to stores in Brooklyn and the other New York City boroughs. Many bakeries were allowing these distributors to take bags with the bakery's name and the kosher symbol on them, and then bag the breads upon delivery to retail stores. The, the, the distributors wanted to do this because they would save money since the bakery charges the distributor more for bread that's already bagged. Interesting, right? Have you seen how everybody is distributing bulk things now? That all the little stores are selling bulk in a, in a uh, I mean, actually, whatever it is, in these little plastic tubs, they're putting their own sticker on, and they're selling you something that is from a brand name, but without the packaging from the brand name company. Now, what are they doing that for? Because they buy it bulk, and they can dis- and they can put it in these little plastics, and the people who are working for them don't cost them that much, and they don't have to have a fancy seal on it. They don't have to have a fancy uh, cellophane uh, heat sealed or something like that. It's enough for them to just put it into a little package and their name on it and the weight and the amount of money you're going to pay. And that's what they do. So they get it very cheap and they distribute it that way. It's much easier, for, much better for them than to go ahead and to buy the little packages from the company. And the company likes it because the company that makes the product is able to give out larger quantities, which means that their work is down. They, it's less effort for them. Making the product is not as hard as handling it by humans after it's made. The actual product is cheaper than the, the, than the labor that comes in afterwards. So it's, it really is a, a win-win situation, but then you have to trust the, the store owner and the, and the people who are working for him, which are usually not Jewish, and, and you have to trust them that they put the right things in the right package with the right name on it. I just saw something, which may or may not be a joke, 
probably is. Uh, it's a from a well-known meat company with good hashgacha on it, and on the label, it it mentions a non-kosher meat. And uh, we contacted the kashrus, we the, uh, the company or the kashrus agency, the behind that meat company, and they said they put the sticker on top of our sticker. It was either a joke or it was an accident or something malicious, whatever it was. He claims that it was a sticker that was put on the outside, which I could only see if I saw the package up close. Here, I'm only seeing it on the, on, on, on a, you know, an email. But, uh, yeah, you could, uh, you could doctor it up, and you have to be careful that you're putting the right thing in the right package with the right name on the outside. Anyway, let me read this little piece because I only have a few minutes left. The distributors, okay. It's only a difference of a few cents on a loaf of bread. But with the volume involved, it's big money to these distributors. The bakeries also liked not to have to bag the breads. They made more money on the ba- that They made more money on the baking. It's like I just told you a minute ago. Armed with bags from a half dozen different bakeries and breads and baked goods from the bakeries, these distributors, mostly Jewish but not observant, were able to put whatever bread or baked goods they wished into whichever bag. They had bags from different companies with different Ashkach's names on it, and they could put a bread from A into B and B into A, and they had it all in their pockets, and they had it all in their truck. It was amazing. Obviously, they were, they were also... Um, capable of buying from totally non-kosher sources, bagging them and presenting them as kosher. And we found, I personally found, in one uh, something coming from one of the international bakeries, meaning non-kosher Russian bakery, uh, they had the bags from a, a famous uh, hashkocha, say famous uh, bakery. I said, how could, these, how could that be in that bag? And we found out that they literally had thousands of bags in the basement. They were using them. One of the distributors, because they bought one bread from that company, from the grocery company, and they had and they got hold of thousands of bags, and they were putting the non-kosher stuff into the bags with the kosher name and the hashgacha on it. Okay, they didn't have, they didn't come wrapped already. They just stuck it in the bag. Okay, but somebody saw that bag. The assumption is it's kosher until we found out that it wasn't. Now, this is this is the kind of stuff that was going on. Um, I'll just, just uh, because the time is very late, I'll just sort of end it off here. We're happy to report that as a result of our investigation of a number of Brooklyn bakeries, at least one cautious agency has instituted an improvement you see, there's a way for the consumer himself to spot the problem when he shops. The baker usually ties the bread with a sealed tape, something printed with a date by which to sell the product. The distributor, when he bags breads, just uses a metal twisty, to tie a twist tie to close the bag. So the point was to get the companies to put something which was official date code on the end, and then it wouldn't be this distributor putting it into the bags. The Brooklyn Bakery has accepted to print the name of its bakery on the tape used to tie the bread. 
you will spot the bakery's name on the tape sealing their, sealing their breads, only if they've been sent through the bakery's own delivery men or they were bought by distributors after they had already been bagged. So that was one way that we solved that problem. Uh, at least we tried to. Now, somebody came to me about double seals on meat products. He found a product that doesn't have a double seal, and he said it has to have a double seal. So I told him that the cashless agency has to decide, and they decided probably that it's not a problem because it was a, a seal that could not easily be substituted. It was a seal that was, a, that was done by heat seal, and the machine has their name on it and the hashgacha on it, and it's done in a factory. It's not something done in the house. There's no gain for anybody to do it. At least as far as we know, there's no, there's no reason to suspect it. Do things like this happen where people buy equipment and do something like that? Yes. In Israel, there's been a major scandal where they caught a, uh, in the northern, Isra- uh, a northern uh, Arab city in Israel. Uh, it's called Sulam. They found a company that was making non-kosher, a non-kosher company of Arab country company, and they're making they're making and they call it kosher, and they're calling it not kosher, and they were selling it all over Israel, and they, they were just recently caught by the rabbanut. So this gives you a little bit of an idea of the old stuff and the new stuff, what's going on, and we all have to daven. That's that's basically what it what it boils down to. We have to daven that just not we should be successful in our learning of Torah and our raising of our children. We should be successful in how we deal with our, our, our neighbors and our friends and people who are not our friends yet. <laughs> and, and we should also be successful in our, in our kashras, watching things carefully from our point of view. And that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should guide those people who are doing kashras and trying so hard to do a proper job. Amen. It's I a, want to add something about the kashrut. You know, that they found, you know, mezuzot and tefillin that basically done in Arab villages. And the girls that learn graphic design, basically, they're doing and writing the mezuzot and, uh, and fill in. And unfortunately, a merchant sell it in Israel. Oh, wow. This is like something a very, very... Uh, that, that's why you have to be careful about when you buy any, anything. This is belong to the kashrut also. Right, definitely. I mean, that's why we... We we have to go no. to somebody who is you knowledgeable exactly. in the in the field of safras when you're buying, because they buying the product, they know they they know if they're getting it from somebody who who is responsible, who they've dealt with, who has a good name, and that's why sometimes it costs a little more if to go to somebody who is responsible has a good reputation, but it's it's always worth it. I don't think there's anybody in the Safras field who's playing games today. That doesn't mean you can't go into a bookstore and buy a pair of of, of tefillin or a mezuzah that's not really 100%. You do have to be careful, and it's good to get uh, advice from a rov when you go shopping on the rose tie. I had a few stories like this, real stories. Right. That's very careful about it. I wouldn't buy any tefillin. And it is that you don't know the guy that's dealing with this. And unfortunately, money is blinding a lot of well, people. That we, anyway, everyone should enjoy the Yom Tov. We won't be able to, be joy, to speak to you next week. But in two weeks, Emir Hashem will be back with Kashrus on the air. You need to reach us for any reason, whether you'd like to get a subscription to the magazine or you'd like to get the Kosher Travel Guide or the Kosher Supervision Guide or Kashrus Question. You can call us at 718 
844-718-336-8544, or you can email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com, or you can go to our website, kashrusmagazine.com. Until that time, thank you very much for listening and wishing you a wonderful Yom Tov.